Our first reading this morning is from Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 to 16. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you and you take them to heart wherever the Lord, your God, disperses you among the nations, and when you and your children return to the Lord, your God, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands I am giving you today. Then the Lord your God will make you prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb and the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous, just as he delighted in your ancestors, if you obey the Lord your God and keep his commands and decrees that are written in this book of the law and turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is your mouth, it is in your mouth and in your heart so you may obey it. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Our second Bible reading comes from Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 15. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses describes in this way the righteousness that is by the law. The man who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that is by the heart, that, that is by faith, says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. 
But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and richly blesses all those who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. We're carrying on uh, this morning in a series on the letter to the Romans. And we pick that back up in Romans chapter 10, which is read for us earlier. And I just wanted to do a bit of a recap, reconnect in some ways um, to the big theme, I think, of the letter. And to do that, I wanted just to read a little bit of Romans chapter 3 to you. Okay, And so I'm reading from Romans chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul, um, among other things, is quoting Psalm 14. And he, he wrote this. There is no one right with God. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. No one will be declared right with God in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets actually testify. This righteousness is given by faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, I wanted to illustrate to you what we've just read um, in a slightly different way. <clears throat> uh, I want you to just imagine for a moment that the light um, above me here is God and he is me or you. And in this kind of moment, there, there's nothing stopping the relationship between God and me or God and you. Now, here is the book of my life. It's a pretty decent volume. Some of us here, their volume might be bigger. And some who are a bit younger than me, it might be, might be smaller. And we kind of might look back on our life and think, eh, pretty good. I made it this far. Did some, did some good things along the way. Maybe some chapters there I'm not so proud of. But when we hold it up to God's standard, which he's kind of revealed in his law, we kind of realise that everything in here, it's not only kind of a bit rubbishy, but it's sinful, not pleasing to him. And what it does is ensure that the relationship is blocked. It stops the relationship between me and God, between you and God, because 
sinners cannot relate to a holy God. Now, in comes Jesus. There is nothing that ever blocked the relationship between him and his father. He was perfectly obedient, lived a life that pleased his father. But at the cross, what happens is he not just takes potentially my book, but he takes yours and all of ours and blocks his relationship with his father so that my relationship, your relationship, can be restored. And as we trust the Lord Jesus, that's exactly what happens. And that's what Paul is saying. There is no one righteous who seeks God. We are blocked, but Jesus takes it, and by faith in him, our sin and punishment is transferred to him, and as we trust him, we can have that restored relationship with God. And so that brings me to say, kind of my key verse for today is verse 4 and verse 9. And I've got my life group to thank for changing my mind about that. But verse 4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes, everyone who trusts him. And here, I'm kind of still pressing into my introduction. Here's why it's so important. Historically, it's important because the Jewish people thought they had an inside running into a relationship with God. But what they'd actually done was create a system to rescue themselves. And here's why it's important for us. We also create systems to kind of try and make ourselves right with God. But God says both to the Jewish people and to us, we're not saved, we're not right with God because of what we can do, but simply by trusting him. And it's a very serious situation, so much so that Paul will say the Israelites are not saved because they've misunderstood God's righteousness. And he's, he's full of sadness about this because what they've been trying to do in doing every command of God, they fail to trust the God of the commands. So instead of saying the Lord is God, they effectively put themselves in his place and said, you know what, we'll take care of it. We're God. It just earned them condemnation and not salvation. Now here Paul says, and I find this quite amazing, and we'll talk a little bit more about it in just a moment. He says, salvation with God is not too hard. It's not too far away. It's not too distant. It's not hidden. Believing God has raised Jesus from the dead Trusting him and saying out before others, Jesus is Lord, the ruler of life, the forgiver. He gives me life. He is the boss and I'm not. Means the living Lord Jesus will give you life with God. Salvation, not condemnation. (laughs) That's so good. That's the message that we're hearing through this passage today. Join me in prayer because we always need God's help actually to open our minds, open our hearts believe it and live it out. Please join me and let's pray. Lord, we do thank you that you sent Jesus to fulfill the law, be the culmination of the law for us, so that as we trust in him, he takes our book and he takes that sin away and he opens up relationship with you, life with you forever. Please help us understand that and believe it and live it out, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So my first point this morning is that Jesus is the culmination of the law, okay, for us. And the people can actually be right with God by trusting this Jesus. That's what the Israelites needed, Paul says. That's what we need. We're in the same boat. So I'm going to reread the first four verses because that's where I'm getting the ideas for my first point from. This is Romans chapter 10, 1 to 4. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And here's the reason. I can testify about them that they really are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they didn't submit to God's righteousness. And here's God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. So the contrast is pretty clear, I think, in this section. And you can kind of see it in verse 3. It's a contrast between, on one hand, those who seek to establish their own righteousness, and on the other hand, those who let God do that. Okay? So on one hand, it's the Jews, Paul says, they've really sought to establish their own rightness with God, their own moral um, approval with God. And he says there was just absolutely no shortage of Jewish zeal for God. They, they just loved him, really wanted to go full on towards him. There was no shortage of effort. They actually sought it out. It's not as though they've kind of just parked God into a corner. No, they've really, really wanted him to be front and centre. But here's the problem. There was an abundance of misunderstanding. So when you've got a lot of willingness and a lot of ignorance, what you actually produce is fanaticism. (laughs) People who are really blinkered but going very hard for the thing that they think they're on about. And then you kind of mix in there, even worse, a a bit of pride because they didn't submit to God's righteousness and it's a toxic mix. It's a really, really bad combo. And here it's the Israelites. That's what Paul says, doesn't he? Verse 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. And our temptation might be to write that off and think, yes, of course, they messed it up. But we're all the same. There are some strong examples, aren't there, in other religions that we can easily kind of point to. And one of those that I thought of um, is Islam. It's a great example of where people have an understanding that God is there. They know that it's his standard that people have to live by. And so they kind of make attempts to get to that standard. And the five pillars of Islam reflect that. The shahada, or the the affirmation of faith in Islam, that's one thing that must be done. Prayer, five times a day. Alms, or kind of charitable giving that's fairly regular. Fasting during the month of Ramadan. And doing the pilgrimage to Mecca, if you are able. Now, fulfilling all those things is, is an obligation but there's still no guarantee that you'll be connected with Allah in paradise at the end. No, no one's really certain about that, how that really works. But you can look at Buddhism, you could look at Hinduism, you could look at any other ism you'd care to claim or care to mention. But here's where the rubber can hit the road for us if we've never been part of a religion before because we're all in the business of having what, is, what are known as functional saviours. And here's what I mean. 
the thing that has become so important to you or so important to me that in effect we are believing that this thing will guarantee our safety into the future, will guarantee our security into the future. And then if we're pushing a little bit further that God would be really pleased because we've been really successful in having this thing. But it can be as simple as kind of overloading the importance of having a house and a home and, and finding our security in that. It can be as simple as overloading the idea of having relationships with other people and really making that the big thing. What happens when, whenever any of us does that is God's kind of glory in his way kind of diminishes and this thing becomes just so large that it in effect is kind of guiding us because we just can't see anything else. So you might not have been particularly religious in the past. And if you're here today investigating Christianity, you might not feel that you're particularly religious, but you've got something in your life that is your functional saviour. So the Jews have got themselves to this point in part because um, of their ignorance. They recognise the need to be right with God for righteousness, but they try to establish their own. They don't submit to God's. Because God's righteousness is all about trusting him to give it to them. But it leads to a radical summary from Paul, and it's in verse 1, which I already read, the Israelites are not saved. It's important for us to note this because in the context of Romans 9, 10, and 11, he's really kind of wrestling with this idea that, well, hang on a sec, if you say that nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus towards the end of Romans 8... Well, how come the Jews have been excluded? God's failed, right? And so Paul's wrestling through some of these questions, but he says this very strong, clear thing here. He, the Israelites are not saved. Why? Because he hates Israel? No. Because he's he, rejecting his kind of a former Jewishness? No, not at all. He's basically just saying God's always worked on the basis of righteousness by faith in Christ, and the Israelites are, have been blind to that. And so, on one hand, they find themselves outside of God's righteousness. Now, on the other hand, Paul says there's another group of people, those who do submit to God's righteousness. They let God establish that for them. And that's the significance of verse 4. It's, let's have a look at that again. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. So, I think what he's actually saying here is that Jesus has done it. Jesus has completed all the moral and legal requirements that God had for his historic people, but he's done it, done it now for all people, and it's over. And I'll, this is what John Stott says about, about it. As far as salvation is concerned, Christ and the law are incompatible alternatives, okay? If righteousness is by the law, it's not by Christ. And if righteousness is by Christ through trust in him, it's not by the law. Christ and the law are both objective realities, yes. They are both revelations and gifts of God, yes. But now that Christ has accomplished our salvation by his death and resurrection, he has terminated the law in its key role. Not erasing it, it's still there, but he's fulfilled it. And it was really helpful to me on Monday night in our life group where one of our members um, serves with the police force. 
And it was, it's, it's brilliant, actually, during Romans because he's dealing with the law and obeying it, disobeying it every day. And this is how he kind of expressed um, this point. It's not as though the law is rubbed out so that it doesn't stand anymore. It's there. It's the point of reference, but it doesn't apply anymore because Jesus has fulfilled it. I thought that was really cool. So the law is not the power or the point of reference anymore that convicts us of sin, because I don't know if you remember, I read that earlier in Romans chapter 3. The law makes us conscious of sin. It's there, but it doesn't have the power over us because Jesus has fulfilled it. I reckon probably the best example that I could give would be of the second thief dying alongside Jesus at his point of crucifixion. So you might remember that in that the first the first thief has been throwing all sorts of shade onto Jesus. The second thief says, "Hang on a sec. This bloke is not hanging here for his sin. <laughs> There's something very different going on." And what was his response? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom and Jesus response tonight you'll be with me in paradise could the thief fulfill any of the law at that point no could he get down and do anything in particular that was going to be pleasing to God no but what did he realize it's time to trust this guy <laughs> and that's what I'm going to do because Christ has come to be the fulfillment of the law and the, the thief basically receives that as a free gift that's all he can do, and that's what God wants us to do. So the second radical thing here, I think, that Paul is saying, so he said the Israelites are not saved. He says, now, do you know what? You can be sure that a person is saved. You can be sure that a person is right with God. Wow, really? Because Jesus has done, done what every person needs. We get what he's achieved. Jesus is the culmination of the law for us. So here's where the rubber kind of hits the road. If you're not trusting Jesus, you are unsaved. It's pretty big, isn't it? So if you're not trusting Jesus, you are not right with God. Here's the flip side of that. If you trust Jesus, you are right with God. There is nothing you have to fear when you front up to, to see him before the throne of grace. He will accept you because of the power of the blood of Jesus. It's been a really cool thing um, to do the Just for Starters course because we're basically, as the name suggests, it's, it's for people who are getting started following Jesus and becoming clear on what that means. And just in this last week, we had a really excellent conversation kind of around this. And the conversation was kind of like this. This is too simple. Is that it? That Jesus has done it and I trust him? And everyone's kind of looking sideways at me. Yep. And they're like, on. sounds too easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not the end of the story in terms of Christian living. But certainly it's the end of the story as far as the law accusing us and making us conscious of sin. It is that simple. It's that good. It's so great. Christ is the culmination of the law. And here's my second point. People can be right with God by trusting Jesus because Christ Jesus is Lord. He's raised and he's ruling for us in our favour. Okay, To give life with God to those who trust him, not take it away. So have a look at verses 5 to 9. <clears throat> That's what I'm thinking of now. 
In my second point, Jesus is Lord. Christ is Lord. Now, Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? What does this righteousness by faith say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. And in your heart, that is, the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So I think he's, quite, I think he's saying this. Instead of trying to give yourself life, you let the risen Lord of life give it to you. So trying to be righteous by the law is like trying to give yourself life. And in the description there in verse 5, the back reference is basically also to a moment of contrast where it's being said, if you do all of this, you will live. But guess what? You can't. So where do you go back to? The God who saves. Because you have to do it all. You have to obey every law. The law sets people an impossible task. Even with the best intentions, you are brought to your knees. And even if you just start with the first of the Ten Commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul. We can just stop there. Do we need to read all ten of the commandments? No, I'm done. (laughs) Has there ever been a day in my life when I could say that I've done that? Not a chance. So I'm going to be brought to my knees in front of the law, but the purpose of the law is actually to make us conscious of sin, conscious of God's holiness, conscious of my need to be saved, but his power to save. And so instead of trying to give myself life, I need to let God through the risen Jesus give it to me. That's righteousness by faith. That's what verses 6 to 8 are about. They seem a bit mysterious, but I think they're really quite simple. It's just quite, it's saying it's not that hard. This is what he means. There is no need to search. There's no need to send a rocket into space um, to try and get up to heaven to find that righteousness and bring the Messiah back down. There is no need to dive to the bottom of the ocean to look for it, to look for the Messiah in those places. There's no need. The word about being right with God by trust is near you. That's what was said in the Old Testament. Now Paul says, Here it is. God raised Jesus from the dead. He's the risen Lord. And what does this risen Lord who's been given all authority in heaven and earth do? Shows kindness. Shows grace. Shows love. Remember that first moment, Matthew 28? Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Wow. So instead of crushing people like ants, he says, no, come in, come to me, come and have life. Not to crush us, but to give us what we could never have ourselves, life forever with God, by believing in Jesus. So instead of acting and living and talking like you make life, you say the opposite, Jesus is Lord. There's, there's, I think, the shortest doctrinal statement in the Bible. And if there's only one thing you need to remember, it's probably that. Who rules here? Jesus does. Who reigns here? Jesus does. Who commands here? Jesus does. What is this 
good risen king actually like? He wants to give life, not to take it. And Paul says quite simply, believe this inside, show it as it comes out of your mouth. There'd be many, many ways in your living that you can show that Jesus actually guides what you do, but quite simply and clearly in your speaking. No, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Um, I heard a, a really cool testimony actually uh, this week of someone who decided with fear and trembling in their workplace to do this, um, being true in his heart actually to his Lord and realising that um, if, if there was a public moment in a, in a fairly senior staff meeting to testify, then he was pretty clear this was the moment that he was going to take. And as he did that, it became apparent that there were others in the very senior staff meeting who were very glad to hear what he had to say about Jesus being Lord. And I think his whole attitude actually to testifying publicly probably changed um, through that experience, but I need to talk with him about that. But Paul says these two things actually go together. It's not just the case that we can be secret believers, but he's saying, no, 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 it's also coming out of your mouth because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Are you believing the risen Lord Jesus? Okay, does it come out? There's a bit of a test for us. But here is the impact on me, I guess, when I keep, am I, I am able to keep saying and affirming Jesus is Lord. It's so good because I'm not the boss of my own life. I don't have to keep being responsible for working out what the future is going to look like because Jesus already has shown it in his resurrection. But I don't need to kind of keep making up my own playbook of what life has to look like because it's already there. It's so good. And I don't have to ask the question, will all the stuff that I do every single day over the series of the days of my life, will that be enough, Lord, for you to let me in? Because he already says, no, it's not, but I've already done what you needed. Phew. So good. Is it on me? No, it's on Jesus. I'll take it. I'll trust him. I need to keep working on living a life of thankfulness, but I'm not betting on myself to get into heaven. The Lord Jesus has done that. So we can be saved, but we also need to realize, brothers and sisters, that Every single person on the face of the planet is the same in this. And, and Paul is pressing into this scandal. I'm not, I'm not talking so much about that this morning, that Jews and Gentiles would now be alike. But it's a point of humility for everyone because God saves all people in the same way. And it's good, but it's humbling. So my last point, Christ the message. We need to make sure that this is clear and that other people hear Okay, so I'm thinking of verses 14 to 15, and there's a little bit of a twist here, I think, but let me read those verses first. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Um, Many of you will know, my wife and I were missionaries in Italy for about 11 years, and it's a really easy temptation to pick these verses up and say, well, this is all about mission. We're going, you need to support us. And here's how you can give the money. But in the first instance, these are not missionary verses. Okay, here's why. Through Romans 9, 10, and 11, Paul's kind of dealing with questions and objections to the Jews being excluded. 
And this is just another one of them. And Paul's kind of picking this up. And people potentially are saying, or he's using it as a, as a rhetorical device, saying God didn't organize himself. God didn't get his act together. God didn't get the mission team organized. So the Jews could never have heard that it was all about righteousness by faith. So, Ian, if you're going to uh, listen in later on to YouTube, <clears throat> um, I'm just setting your talk up for next week. Um, you can just simply start by saying rubbish. Okay, it's because the rest of the passage, the rest of the chapter shows us that it's utter rubbish that God didn't organize himself. It's utter rubbish to think that this had not been known because especially as he references Psalm 19, you might be familiar with this, God is clear in general revelation of creation. So it's quite clear that there is a God through what he has made, but God is very, very clear. He's made his very, very clear through his specific revelation, his special revelation in what he's told people and what they have written down. And that came first to the Jews. <sighs> okay. But <clears throat> here's the implication of what is being said here. How can they hear without someone preaching? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? And so the logic is obvious, isn't it? Send people. But don't just send them to be living and working, but silent and invisible, send them to preach. But if you're going to send them to preach so other people can understand, you've got to invest in them long enough and help them understand that they've got to learn the language of the, of the local place. So whatever language that is. In our case, when we went to Italy, learning Italian. Claire of Arabia's case, it's Arabic. Um, in the case of the McClure's, five or six different languages. I think the way those guys work... But nonetheless, they understand too that they must be working in the language of the locals so that the locals can understand this message because that's how salvation comes so that people can believe and so that they can call on Christ and are saved. So what do you think of the message? I guess that's a question, isn't it, for, for each of us and how are we going to play our part in organising so that the message goes out? Because kind of maybe in relation to uh, the very oblique reference I made earlier to this brother's testimony, each of you are in locations already where you can witness. Because if being right with God by faith is a matter of believing this in your heart then telling it out, there will be some moments or there should be some moments, not every single day, not every single moment, that in your office in your workplace, in your relationships, in your sporting club, in your social club, whatever it might be, where you should speak this out. So it is important that, first of all, as a church, we consider how we're preparing. And uh, there are different things that we already do, of course, to make this message known. Simply Christianity, Just for Starters, Matt's Banquet. But also last year we did a bit of Just for Listen training, and hopefully this year that will come back where each of us is getting equipped. And here's why I want to start talking about us, first of all, because I've heard it expressed this way in the past. There's a risk sometimes that a church like ours exists like a lighthouse. We're really good at supporting mission a long, long way away, and the light beams far, but around the base of the lighthouse is all black <laughs> because we haven't worked out how we keep shining the light closest to us. So what I'm encouraging you to think of where you are, how is that light shining? But how is the message going out? Because people can't be saved unless they hear it. 
That's the thing. And that, that, that's something we all have to wrestle with and we feel stronger or weaker in, but we want to keep growing in as a church. But certainly St. Matthews has a very long, excellent history of support, supporting mission far. And we want to keep doing that, don't we? Um, at least 10% of the giving here at St. Matthews is carved off every year to support um, those we send. And so that we're over the $100,000 mark uh, mark uh, per year in doing that, which is an excellent, excellent thing, and we want to keep doing that. So, Christ is the culmination of the law for us. Christ is the risen Lord for us. Christ is the message for us, but also for them. And so I, I will finish this morning uh, praying, especially for um, Super Club, some of the things that Phil has mentioned this morning, I'll be praying for you as well specifically that this week might be an excellent week for you. Instead of trying to give life to yourself, you keep letting the risen Lord of life, Jesus, give it to you. And if you've got an opportunity to say a sentence or even just three words, you might say, Jesus is Lord. Let's pray about that now. Holy Lord, we're just so glad that you have taken the burden off us and laid it on the Lord Jesus. As awful as that was, Father, um, we rejoice and say thank you that he fulfilled the law in his obedience, giving his life up to death in the place of us sinners who should have been there instead. We're so thankful. Lord, please help us to live that lightness of being today, that we might let Jesus keep being Lord over us and not take his place. And we do ask, Lord, that going out into the day and into the week, you would help us um, to say that Jesus is Lord in many different ways, Lord, but help it to be evident, Father, that we are living for Jesus and so we're living a life of love. And in those moments, Lord, where it's very clear that this is our moment to speak, you might just help us to say that, that Jesus is Lord and we're not. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.